Hey, I'm Erica. Hi, I'm Ashley. And we own Cloverleaf Midwifery in Florida State. We are one licensed midwife and one student midwife. However, we're not your midwives. We seek out current and evidence-based stats and information for topics we present. But this podcast should not be used as a substitute for real obstetrical or gynecological care, nor should it serve to replace the advice of your chosen provider. We do encourage you to ask hard questions and or seek out care of a provider that is a better fit for your needs. Please also note that we absolutely use filthy language during our discussions, which may occasionally be about controversial or triggering subject matter. So So now that's that's out of the way. Who wants wants to get get buzzed and talk about birth shit? Well, I'm Erica. I'm Ashley. And this is Midwives With No Lives. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thanks for sticking it out because we know we were having some like audio shit. Um, I know that you sent me those episodes to listen to. Mm-hmm. I do find it hard to listen to myself. Same. Yeah. I don't like with the headphones on. It's like, why do I have to hear myself like this? Yeah. Like listening to myself back. I'm like, Ooh, God. Mm-hmm. yeah. So May is, Um, Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm. So we were wanting to talk about some like postpartum mood disorders. Yeah. And we also are going to get a a guest on the podcast. I'm very excited. To talk about their experience with a postpartum mood disorder. And so we're hopefully going to be able to kind of like patch that in at the end of this episode when we get to talk yeah. to them. I can't wait to hear about their experience. I know. I know. Mm. Um, and that they're so open to talking about it. Yeah. You know, because um, that's like a really delicate. Is that my candles? <laughs> probably not. It's probably just the wind. <laughs> I feel like it's fine if they're in there. Whatever. So, um, yeah. Um, I forgot what I was saying. We were talking about having an interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just like what a delicate mm. uh, topic it is to talk about, especially if you have lived through that and it was really terrible, you know? Well, I had asked Erica to watch a movie called Baby Ruby. Yes. Uh, I showed her the trailer today. I'm not sure that I can watch it. We'll see yeah. how you feel first. Yeah. But like watching that and then getting to hear someone's lived experience. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how much of it is like theatrical versus real life. Yeah. You know, I, I, it seems like a really intense mm-hmm. movie, but I will absolutely Take um, for the team. sit through that for Thank sure. Mm-hmm. It does look really, really good. I agree. And one of the articles that I'm going <clears> to <throat> recommend today uh, is it's about postpartum anxiety, but it, really talks about that person's experience and like what it felt like. Mm. So that was really cool. Um, I I don't know what your research is like, but most of mine is like very clinical. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be great. Yes. Um, So I, I didn't actually reference this article, but I'm going to, um, and we'll always put our references in our show notes too, but I highly recommend that if you maybe have a, uh, predisposition for anxiety mm. or OCD or a mood disorder of any kind. And then, and now you're having a baby, um, to like do all of the prep 
Yeah. To hopefully, you know, lessen the severity that you're experiencing it. Um, and, and really like read about other people's experience. experiences. Yeah. Like how they prepare too. Yeah. Especially because if you have it one time, you're more prone to have it with each pregnancy. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, we, I can't remember. <laughs> I know we talked about like the order that we were going to do this in. Yeah. And I, I really hate to end on like, like a, a really rough note. heavy one. Um, but I think in terms of like progression, we'll start with the, I'm going to do anxiety and OCD. Mm -hmm. Um, we did not cover depression for today. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like because that one is, there's much more of an awareness around it. Mm. And postpartum anxiety, you know, people still function. Well, I feel like that's new, like relatively new. I but feel people like, are labeling it. Right. As a mood disorder. I feel like everything was kind of lumped into depression. Yeah. At yes. Least, like when I, even when I was having Royce, I, there was not much about like OCD, anxiety, all of those things. No. Mm -mm. So, um, you know, just to, to talk about something that's maybe a little more recognized like now. Like, yeah, like warming up into it. Especially because yeah. a lot of what you're going to talk about is kind of like foreshadowing to psychosis. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think maybe we'll, we'll get into it. And um, before we, before I really like super dive um, into this, I just want to preface that, uh, before I really dive into this, I just want to preface that I may not continuously say postpartum anxiety or postpartum OCD, but when I mention either anxiety or OCD, um, it is of the postpartum variety. Yes. And, um, I'll touch on the occurrence of these mood disorders during pregnancy, but, <clears throat> Um, and an interesting tidbit that has like anecdotally rang true for me is that those who have an ongoing mood disorder are quite likely to manage very well without mood stabilizers during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. However, during the postpartum or puberum, puberum? Yeah, I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> I've got a couple of those too. Um, I think it's puperum. Okay. I just, my mouth doesn't like saying it like that. Um, however, during the postpartum or the puperum period, maternal psychology returns from whence it came to the pre-pregnant state. Mm. Um, for now, I'm going to leave out like all lactation contraindications for psychi uh, psychiatric medications. And we can totally revisit this, you know, in the future. But I think or I hope, you know, we can all agree that we'd prefer a mentally stable and healthy parent on psych meds who needs to rely on formula versus a mentally unstable and very unhealthy parent not on psych meds for the sake of oh, absolutely. nursing, I would think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In a bit, I will go into some um, over-the-counter supplements that have been clinically shown to decrease the severity of mood disorders postpartum. So I feel like I can really dive in now. So what the fuck is anxiety? Mm. Anxiety 
can be a normal response to threats and dangers. Mm. But anxiety in great amounts over prolonged periods of time begin to warp our experiences and reality. Yikes. Additionally, if our thyroid is dysfunctional, it may cause our neurotransmitters to become erratic, potentially triggering anxiety or panic. Main risk factors for postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD include a personal or familial history of mood disorders, previous perinatal depression or anxiety, hormonal shifts, Dramatic changes in hormones during postpartum and lactation may cause mood changes, leading to an abnormal stress response. Uh, lack of, okay, lack of sleep fucks with mood stability and eventual reality. I, I shouldn't be laughing. Stressful events, again, anxiety is a normal response to threats or danger. So if we have too many stressful occurrences, leading to prolonged anxiety, our brains will begin to think that this is normal and adjusts its response accordingly as a way of protection and special considerations for an undesired pregnancy, of course. So mm -hmm. like, you know, if this is a pregnancy that you are not intending um, and maybe are feeling forced to continue with the pregnancy, like that's, that's really gonna fuck with your, you know, mood response. Yeah. <clears throat> new feelings of intense responsibilities a lot of people uh, really underestimate how life altering having a child can be and few will become completely overwhelmed and or consumed with a negative reaction to the new changes and lastly um again fiber dysfunction sure um postpartum anxiety symptoms include constant worry inability to sit still, relax, or keep calm, racing or intrusive thoughts, um, such as like worst case scenarios, obsessing over irrational fears, uh, or things that are unlikely to, obsessing over irrational fears or things that are unlikely to happen. And I think you had mentioned this happened with Royce, right? What was your experience? Like yeah, that. like things that didn't make any sense. Like if I was cutting food at the kitchen island, I was like, oh, the knife's going to fly across my island and stab him. Right. You know, like right. things that didn't make any sense. Yes. Um, one that you mentioned in our visits a lot is like the window breaking, which yes. I think is great. Um, mm -hmm. What is it like during a thunderstorm, like the lightning's going to come, break the window and like shatter on top of my baby. Yes. Like Just the baby like, can't be anywhere near the windows because... Yeah out of nowhere, there will be like a blast of thunder and shatter the windows all over the baby. Yeah. yeah. Just like things that make absolutely no sense. In right. Reality. Right. <clears throat> so things, uh, thoughts like that. And then I feel like, um, kind of like beyond every time you do it, I'm like, <laughs> <coughs> okay, sorry. All right. Bodily functions out of the way. <laughs> Disturbances in sleep and appetite or a complete lack of regard mm. for your own needs and nourishment. Um, so, uh, like one client that I've had, um, now, uh, they've had two babies with me. Um, and this time it's, it's much more delayed. She had experienced it a bit earlier on with the last baby. Um, 
you know, but it was like zipping around, cleaning every nook and cranny of your house from the floor to the ceiling, you know, um, into the corners everywhere without even like recognizing that you should have some water. Yeah. Or that you're even hungry mm. um, or should at least just eat something, sure. you know. Um, nausea or stomach aches, like constant. Because mm. um, that like kind of, you know, if you think about your fight or flight response, when you get those like yeah. flutters, um, it's like that all the time. General feelings of doom, irritability, being overly cautious in situations that aren't dangerous. Yeah. Um, over, uh, overly controlling, checking things over and over. So like, you know, you gotta do that light switch four times before you walk out the door or like yeah. bad things are going to happen. Like leaning into OCD almost. Yes. Yeah. Difficulty focusing or forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, dyspnea, which is what? Is that low breathing? Shortness of breath. Shortness of breath. Yes. Yeah. Um, difficulties breathing. Mm -hmm. Increased heart rate or palpitations. Because mm -hmm. again, fight or flight. There are many different tools for diagnosing mood disorders postpartum, including the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, or EPDS, mm -hmm. Perinatal Anxiety Screening Scale, or PASS. We use these two the most yes. in the United States. There are a bunch of other ones that I use globally. Pregnancy Concerns Scale, Perceived Stress Scale, Cope Inventory, Perceived Partner Support Scale, Social Support Appraisal Scale, Beck Depression Inventory. So those are a few other ones that I've never heard of before. No. Postpartum anxiety prevalence during, um, oh, take that out. <laughs> you said one of them was a social support scale. Mm -hmm. What country uses that? Because we don't. No, we don't. Social um, support here? <laughs> um, if I remember correctly, a bunch of those additional ones mm -hmm. um, were used in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, anxiety prevalence during pregnancy, early postpartum, and late postpartum are 35.3%, 17.3%, and 20.6% respectively. Wow. Two in three people suffering from depression during first seven months, during the first seven months postpartum have a comorbid anxiety disorder. Dang. 25 to 50 percent of those with some anxiety disorder show postpartum depression symptoms within two months of childbirth. We really encourage you to be honest about your emotional health and please reach out to your providers, mm -hmm. your friends, if you had a doula or you just you have a close friend. Um, if you are struggling. Yeah. Typically we start to see these scales um, because if you can, I don't know why I can't read my writing all of a sudden. Um, 
not even my writing. It's typed down, but like my <laughs> my typed out thoughts. Thoughts. Um. Hmm. Um. I'm trying to even putting a pin in this. Typically, we start to see these fails because if you can be honest on them. Oh, typically, we, sorry. Got it. It's got it. Price. Okay. <clears throat> Typically, we start with these scales because if you can be honest on them, they are extremely helpful in determining how severe your mood disorder is, and we can refer to a psychiatrist or a psychologist um, appropriately. Sure. You know, and if it's, you know, if you're being honest and they're really mild, like we can, you know, start with other remedies and try to maybe figure out like what's triggering this anxious response mm -hmm. um this anxious state but maybe it's not full anxiety maybe we don't need yet. pharmaceuticals yet maybe not i'm sure i'm like jumping the gun here but did you do any research about how the prevalence has increased over the years actually i don't think i did no i don't think i did i'm interested to see how it's increased from like the 50s to now Oof. Just given that everybody is work, like I feel like nobody gets maternity leave one, right? But two, it's like everyone has jobs to get back to, and like yep. we just we don't have a social network anymore. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, like our parents who may have been watching our kids, like for our generation, mm -hmm. we don't really have that as much anymore. Like mm -hmm. they're still working; mm -hmm. they're not retired yet. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, like, how the rates have steadily inclined when we don't have any support around us. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. So if natural remedies and self-care adjustments are not cutting it for you, um, it's likely that you may need psychiatric assistance. And that is, oh, fucking kit. Like, yes. <laughs> there's too much of a stigma mm -hmm. around needing medications to feel healthy. Okay. As I said earlier, we'd much rather a parent and baby remain alive and healthy and functioning. And if meds are the only way to accomplish that, then you shouldn't feel stigmatized for it. Common medications to manage anxiety and or OCD include and listed in order of preferential use according to UpToDate are uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, SSRIs, mm -hmm. Boosperone, um, otherwise known as Boostbar, Gabapentin, antidepressants, and then antipsychotics. Mm -hmm. Additional treatment um, and recommendations. I don't know why I do that. Like I put like a little header and I'm like, but I shouldn't actually say the header part. Oh, You're me, just man. so quick to criticize yourself. <laughs> I'm Jewish. I can't help it. <laughs> this bit of info was taken almost word for word from the free article, Vitamin D and the Omega-3 Fatty Acids Control Serotonin Synthesis and Action Relevance for ADHD, Bipolar Disorder, Schizophrenia, and Impulse Behavior. So please, please go read that article. It's super digestible. Serotonin regulates executive function. Mm -hmm. It is essential for planning and decision-making. Both vitamin D and omega-3s highly and positively impact serotonin production and synthesis. 
therefore are critical in presenting defects in executive function, impulse control, sensory gating, and pro-social behavior. Inadequate vitamin D and omega-3 status in combination with genetic factors may cause dysfunction in the serotonin pathways, exacerbating defects and triggering mental illness. Mm -hmm. So the recommended dose for uh, dosing for omega-3s is up to one gram every day. Or like what we are actually going to start implementing in our practice mm. um, for someone who is maybe predisposed to this is 5,000 milligrams every day with additional salmon meals per week. Yeah. And you can also find omega-3s and like chia seeds and shit like that. Recommended uh, dosing for vitamin D would be a minimum of 5,000 IUs per day, but most most sources say um, it should be about 10,000 IUs per day for someone with like anxiety. Gotcha. Um, I feel like I'm gonna do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're just, as soon as we are done recording today, we're gonna go take our 5,000 milligrams <laughs> yeah. of omega-3s and 10,000 IUs of vitamin D. Um, and really not stick a dose. Yeah. <laughs> um, and additional coping includes um, self-care, right? So plenty of sleep. Mm. Easier said than done. Sure. I do understand that. Um, reading books, new time, right? That's exercise. This is a big one. Yeah. Exercise. Um, and making sure that you are eating and hydrating. So even if you have to set timers for yourself. Seriously. Yeah. You know, um, and magnesium supplementation. Mm -hmm. So magnesium does help soothe anxiety to some extent and um, can help you sleep when you take it at night. I agree. Whole so night. like 400 milligrams of magnesium every night before bed. Um, and so my reference is, are uh, that one article that I mentioned before, um, vitamin D and the omega-3 fatty acids control serotonin synthesis and action. Vitamin D and fish oil improve cognition and mood by supporting serotonin. From the uh, National Library of Medicine, um, National Institute of Health um, article, anxiety during pregnancy and postpartum, course predictors and comorbidities. Um, and another NLM, NIH article, association between vitamin D supplementation and mental health in healthy adults, a systematic review. Mm. Cleveland Clinic, postpartum anxiety article. Uh, postpartum.net was a good one too. Um, they had a page on anxiety during pregnancy and postpartum and then pregnancy and postpartum obsessive compulsive symptoms. Up to date, of course, always up to date. Mm -hmm. Overview of the postpartum period disorders and complications. Um, and then just as a like a side note and like definitely please go check these out. The New York Times article, this is what postpartum anxiety feels like. And this podcast will kill you has an episode on vitamin D and it really explains like how our body, you know, not only synthesizes it, but utilizes it mm -hmm. um, and how it behaves in our body and all of the fucking havoc that it will wreak if we have um too little too little wow yes mm. 
So that's postpartum anxiety and OCD. I feel like uh, you were saying, obviously, please, uh, if you need medication or help, do that. Yeah. Because also, like, you want to enjoy your baby. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to totally. just be, like, white-knuckling motherhood no. if you don't have to. No. Because then you miss out on, like, the good parts. I guess, too, some other things uh, that I didn't mention. I feel like I broke this coming on. <laughs> <coughs> Maybe it wasn't. I'm just so... <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that I didn't mention that can maybe be classified as like self-care is going to groups yeah like lactation groups or if there are any like mom baby groups locally especially because like you see these commercials and movies where it's like motherhood is natural and easy and like, look at this woman who's doing all the things, right. and she's so gorgeous and thin and on glowing. top of it. Yes, yeah. and it's like that's not reality. It's not. You're covered in poop and pee <laughs> and breast milk or formula. Yeah. Like you're not sleeping like you were. I feel like we're not talking about the reality of motherhood. Mm -hmm. So I think a support group, someone to say like, oh my god, me too. Yes, you know. Yeah, and I I went through that, and this is something that helped me. Mm -hmm. Or something yeah like that i love it when we go um, for our postpartum visits and they're like i'm so sorry and i'm like no this is what we want you to look like your yes. house should look like this and yes. you should look like you haven't done anything yes you know absolutely please don't tidy and like get yourself together please don't please don't no well, good job Erica. thank you are we ready for something a little heavier <laughs> Um, so postpartum psychosis, I feel like has been more prevalent in the news. I feel like when I was pregnant with Maddie, which was a long time ago, I had not heard of this. Wow. Um, and it's something that my doctor definitely did not discuss with me. So, uh, the definition, I guess maybe I'll do my sources. I used up to date two. There was three different articles, one on bipolar, one on like the symptoms and diagnosing, and then one on treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, postpartum psychosis. Uh, psychosis is a disturbance in an individual's perception of reality. Psychosis can be manifested through one or more of the following. So, the first one is delusions. Uh, so, fixed, false, or idiosyncratic beliefs that are not culturally based. Uh, so, a lot of them have, unfortunately, do uh, run around religion. Yeah. Uh, B, hallucinations. Sensory experiences without physical sensory stimulation. Oh. So this includes tactile, visual, auditory. Uh, this word I had not heard before, gustatory, which Ooh, is your taste of, like your taste. Oh, it's interesting. Taste. Okay. And then olfactory, your sense of smell. Yeah. Uh, thought disorganization. Could, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Could you imagine just like tasting things out of nowhere? No, <laughs> I cannot. Um, I feel like the closest example I have is, like, Cam with her, like, long COVID and her uh -huh. taste being weird. You know, like, if she, like, when she tries Coke or coffee and it tastes like something different. Yes. When you have knowledge of what it is, but to, like, not be drinking or eating and then suddenly be flooded with that sensation. Yeah. That's wild. It's wild. And you have to think on top of it, you're having this uh, taste and you're... You're 
believe it. Like, you don't have that awareness. If it happened to you sitting here, you would be like, what is going on? Yeah. But to just be so, uh, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah. Out of it. Yeah. You know? Because it's one thing to smell something. Yes. And those two are very closely linked. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, somebody could be cooking something or burning mm -hmm. something or, I don't know, maybe something fell behind your bed and soured and now you're smelling this But the thing is, food. is, like, you and I would be looking for a culprit. Yes. When you're having psychosis, it's a uh, fact. You're not even mm -hmm. looking for an explanation. Okay. You're thinking it's got to be um, something like demonic or wrong. Uh, so, uh, thought disorganization, disorganized behavior. Yeah. So, a couple of just quick facts. Uh, postpartum psychosis is rare. It only happens in one to two of every 1,000 births in the U.S. It most commonly presents within the first two weeks of childbirth. But there were different uh, there were different things that said it could be up to six weeks. Approximately four percent of women with postpartum psychosis have been found to commit infanticide, with nine percent having thoughts of harming their infants. Yeah. Uh, women experiencing their first uh, episode of postpartum psychosis appear to have a high risk of reoccurrence outside of the postpartum time period. So a systemic review and meta-analysis analyzed the outcomes of 645 patients having their first psychosis episode uh, postpartum with follow-up periods of 11 to 26 years. 56% experienced, I know, <laughs> experienced one or more subsequent episode outside of the postpartum, postpartum period within that like 11 to 26 years. And then, uh, 6% experienced one or more subsequent episodes exclusively limited to the postpartum time period. So kind of like what I was saying before, you're just more likely to have this happen yeah. again. Um, and then for women without a prior history, uh, this is really, okay, so a postpartum psychotic episode may be the first manifestation of bipolar disorder. Oh, fuck. Right. Like your whole life, you're completely quote unquote normal. Have a baby, have psychosis. And that's how you're diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, so the symptoms. Uh, persistent severe insomnia. So this is outside of normal sleep interruption. So remember you had said about having like heightened energy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like the, the idea that like you don't need to sleep. Um, hallucinations and delusions are present, often with, a, with thought disorganization or bizarre behavior. Yeah. So the delusion is that their baby is ill-fated, like something is wrong with them, they're going to die, um, that their baby is, quote-unquote, the devil, mm -hmm. um, or that someone's going to take their baby away. Mm. Uh, command auditory hallucinations, hallucinations may be present, instructing the mother to harm the baby or herself. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. Uh, delirium. So this is uh, disorientation to person, place, or time. So this is actually different. If someone experiences psychosis outside of like the postpartum period, they do not experience delirium. So that is specific to in the postpartum period. Oh fuck. Yeah. Um, manic or depressed mood or both. 
uh, rapid mood changes, anxiety, anxiety, irritability, and then psychomotor agitation. Yeah. Uh, so you can see if you're like not addressing those like early, or for example, let's say that like you experience uh, a heightened anxiety in your pregnancy. If you're not like cognizant and like watching those, you can see how like those symptoms like will manifest into mm -hmm. psychosis. What I also thought was interesting is that they don't actually diagnose you with postpartum psychosis. Uh, so according to the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Oh my gosh. So the DSM-5, yes. no wonder why they gave us the acronym, um, does not classify postpartum psychosis as a distinct diagnostic entity. Instead, patients with postpartum psychosis are assigned a diagnosis based on their primary mental disorder. So whether that's like uh, postpartum depressive disorder, OCD, bipolar disorder, but then it gets um, the specifier with peripartum onset, which is like the last month of pregnancy up to six weeks after. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Wow. Okay. So I wonder why that is. I don't know either. Because mm -hmm. if you're experiencing, experiencing psychosis outside of uh, postpartum, they would say that. So I don't know why they just classify it differently. Uh, risk factors for experiencing postpartum psychosis, obviously a history of having postpartum psychosis yeah. or a family history of postpartum psychosis. So a history of bipolar disorder, these two are like, like very intrinsically linked. One is usually followed by the other. So uh, history of bipolar disorder, between 25 to 40% of deliveries in a woman with bipolar disorder are affected by postpartum psychosis, schizophrenia, or schizoaffective disorder, which I didn't know what schizoaffective disorder is, but it's essentially like schizophrenia plus either depressive, bipolar, it's like a combo of the two. Oh my God. I know. But if you think that that's a lot. Too many. Uh, and then approximately 20% of women with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder will develop postpartum psychosis. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But when you think about bipolar, it doesn't seem as, um, I don't want to say severe, it definitely is, but it seems like it can be well managed. Yeah, medication. it's more common. It's, I feel like, you know, more commonly managed. Yes. Um, you know, um, and that they would potentially have some sort of prophylactic mm -hmm. for pregnancy and postpartum. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that makes sense, but maybe they don't do that. But also with schizophrenic people, it's like a very common thing for them. Like, oh, I'm feeling better. So I'm going to stop taking my right. medication. Right. And so, and maybe that's what it is with bipolar too, because they, they're like feeling good and stable and they you know but like it's it's specifically a problem with um just plus i think people. people enjoy like the mania side of um bipolar disorder mm -hmm. it feels very good like yeah. very grandiose thoughts grandiose, yeah uh like heightened energy yeah that can sure feels very good yeah um but to think that like 25 to 40 percent of bipolar um, people will have uh, psychosis is that's a lot 
So hopefully, like, everyone is just, like, very honest on their intake forms. Right. Because certainly, uh, no judgment, obviously, on Karen, but, like, definitely want to know so we can be more vigilant. Right. Uh, family history of bipolar disorder. And then one study reported risk of uh, postpartum psychosis. One in seven births in women with a previous history of postpartum psychosis will happen again. One in four births in women with a history of bipolar disorder. One in two births in women with a history of bipolar disorder and a family history of postpartum psychosis. Yeah. Uh, you're also more at risk if it's your first pregnancy. Mm. Uh, discontinuation of psychiatric medications in pregnancy. And then sleep deprivation may play a role in triggering postpartum psychosis. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and then I feel like, you know, everyone says, like, sleep when the baby sleeps. But honestly, like, please sleep when the baby sleeps. Uh -huh. You don't need to do the dishes. Yeah. Uh, common treatments. So the first thing we're going to do is ensure that um, both the parent and the children are safe. Um, this typically requires um, inpatient hospitalization. Uh, initially, they're going to put you on antipsychotic medication. Uh, there's, like, a whole list of things that they use. It just depends on, like, what... Uh, you react to. Mm -hmm. um, Antipsychotic medication, you will stay on from anywhere from three to six months. It can be longer depending on what you need. The next thing they're going to put you on, um, they prefer lithium, but they can use other mood stabilizers. And this you will remain um, up to a year. Mm -hmm. uh, the next are like, uh, you know, I don't know enough about uh, mental disorders. But let's say that you're experiencing postpartum psychosis, but you're also having like severe depression, like you're having depressive episodes. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, they'll add in an antidepressant. So now you're on three meds. Mm -hmm. If you're also not sleeping, they'll oh add God. in sleep medication. Uh, and so what they'll do is they will try and find the combination that works best for you. Uh, they do recommend therapy. Um, therapy, most of the time, if you're responsive to the medication. But if you're not responsive to the different med uh, medical combination, uh, pharmaceutical combination, rather, uh, they do move to electroconvulsive therapy. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. It's wild that they still even do I, that. I, I don't, yeah. Because you think of those, like, barbaric, uh, psychiatric hospitals exactly. in movies yeah. in like you know the 20s <laughs> like just, the 10s and the, the the 10s to the 40s yes and like that's what they were doing to people like holding them down and I just I, yeah um, again I probably don't know nearly enough about how it works but it does seem barbaric yeah um, you know, it's just like humans are not meant to be shocked like that. I don't know. Um, and like this, are there even stats on that? I don't know. Right. That's like, what makes it, it feel so strange because, so like you'll turn to this because you, as the provider, think that there's nothing, nothing left to do and you must do something mm -hmm. and you can't do lobotomies anymore. So right. we're just going to try to scramble your brain without actually scrambling your brain. I guess. Uh, 
like, and what is your success rate from that then? Or are and these people not, still? Well, you're not really rewiring the no. neural endings so that the synopsis are better. Right. I would assume frying them. <laughs> well, right. Um, I, I really don't. Uh, again, don't know enough about it, but um, they will do that. So this also said that uh, you may continue to breastfeed on this medication. So they said it was uncommon, but there are some like inpatient um, hospitals that will arrange breastfeeding between you and the infant. Um, obviously, it depends on like the safety of both the baby and yeah. mother. Um, <laughs> the other thing it said is that the electroconvulsive therapy had not been studied. They don't know what effect it will have on breast milk. Um, but otherwise, you're fine to be on an antipsychotic with them, an antidepressant, and a sleep medication. Apparently, that's totally good. Wow. <laughs> um, I shouldn't laugh. That's really terrible. Yeah. But um, it does seem like, are we really going to continue to breastfeed at this point? Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll just, like, yeah. let mom get better. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I'll say, too, sometimes people who are predisposed to anxiety, breastfeeding can have the opposite mm -hmm. effect of like typically we think of uh, breastfeeding as very soothing mm -hmm. and calming and it's this attachment to your baby right um you know uh but it does it can have the opposite effect for some people there's this uh, demer mm -hmm. um depressive milk ejection reflex yes um or some people just have this like very unhealthy uh, response um, and and become very anxious over breastfeeding. And the moment they stop, they're better. Yes. Also, I think sometimes you go into it again feeling like this is normal and natural. Why is this hard? You know that breastfeeding is not always like this instant easy thing to do between you and your baby. Right. So I feel like that can be really triggering. Especially anything with lack of sleep is gonna oh. make it like much worse. Much worse. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And um so I think maybe we'll take a break and then mm -hmm. we'll be able to um kinda patch in our our guest. Our guest. And awesome. Good work today. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Well enjoy our interview with Abby Fletcher. <laughs> Hey y'all, how's it going? Can you oh, hear me? Oh, okay, I can hear you now. Hi! <laughs> okay. Oh Do my gosh, I'm so sorry. It was just like, oh, let me play around with this and see if that works because we were hoping to like try to just improve the quality as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so I had like our microphones plugged in, but not the headphones. And then anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. How has your weekend been so far? It's been really good. Good. Yeah. So <clears throat> I cannot thank you enough um, for like talking about your experience with us. Um, I really like Ashley told me when you guys were doing your icebreakers in, in class for the, the intro to midwifery, I think. Yeah. Um, so everyone was like wanting to ask you questions about it. And I was like, 
I really would love. Uh, the thing is, is like when we were doing the research, I feel like it doesn't really do what's happening justice. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so excited that you're willing to share uh, like what you went through. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking about it more. And, and I think, you know, it's kind of like when someone loses a baby or has a stillbirth or fetal demise, like um, no one wants, even miscarriage, like yeah. even an early miscarriage, like nobody wants to talk about it. Um, nobody knows how to talk about it. And so I think like, you know, being able to hear real experiences and maybe not normalizing it, but um, being comfortable when people are talking about their experience, you know, like mm -hmm. learning, learning that. Um, so I sent you our questions um, a little while ago. Were they all okay for you? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah, they look good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I just like to like have an idea of what's coming at me, so. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And if there's anything that you feel like we didn't think to ask or left out or you think that we should add in, helpful. like, mm -hmm. please, by all means. Yes, please. So what was your, like, what was your experience, like, to start off, I guess? Yeah. Um, well, is it okay if I introduce myself first? Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> I'm bad at doing that. <laughs> no, it's okay, just because I'm, like, you know, I, like, to give some context for who I am and not. not just like, here's a story and you don't know anything about me, so. Yeah, totally. Well, okay. we, can, we can try to do like a little um, intro, mm. I guess. So um, I'm, I'm Erica. I'm <laughs> Great, I'm Abby. Hi, Abby. <laughs> and yeah, I just um, like to share that uh, I'm a midwife. Um, I've been a midwife since 2000, um, 2009. And, um, and yeah, I'm also a parent of two kids and mm -hmm. I identify as non-binary and use uh, they, them pronouns. Yes. So yeah, just a, a little intro. <laughs> yeah, and you were one of my teachers. Um, for our, um, like, partum practicums. Yeah. Um, I was going through school. And now you're um, my teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do. So now I work at the Midwifery School. I've been working at the Midwifery School probably at least since 2014, but it might have been 2013, just teaching here and there. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And, working then at, at your practice. Right. Yeah, so I practiced um, for 10 years as a midwife, and um, when I became, when I decided to have my second child, I decided to take a break from births, and my oh. child's now two years old, and my second child's now two years old, mm -hmm. and I'm still not ready to be on call, so I'm still not yes. attending births and teaching more at the midwifery school and enjoying yeah. it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, you know, I know, uh, the like burnout rate for midwives, they say it's like on average about seven years and you definitely surpassed that. Surpass that. <laughs> it, yeah. Burnout is, burnout is real for sure. Oh, so sorry. Sorry. I didn't hear what you said. 
so I mean, when um, when you had your second child, um, and just the like not feeling ready to go back, was that like part of the? Was that like partly burnout for you? Like just the I think I'm gonna step back, or just like so, not being ready to, um, just like if if you were doing anything else, like would you feel like I just want to be with my baby? Yeah. Um, I think it was many factors that went into it. I, I'm thankful that I don't feel like I got to the point of burnout. Mm. Um, but I think I definitely would have gotten there if I kept pushing myself. Mm. Um, so, but I think it was a combination of many things, including wanting to protect, uh, do preventative things to avoid postpartum psychosis the second time. Uh, yeah. And knowing that my midwife schedule definitely played into uh, my sleep deprivation that contributed to developing the psychosis, the first pregnancy. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, just really wanting to protect my pregnancy and my postpartum and then um, <clears throat> And then my relationship that with the person I was co-parenting with ended. Um, and now it's hard to envision being on call as a single parent. Um, yeah. It's hard to envision, yeah, going to births in the middle of the night and just coordinating all the childcare um, is part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah, and... And yeah, um, yeah. Also, just wanting to be with my kids as much as I can, and yeah. uh, enjoy this time while they're little is yeah. part of it too. So, but yeah, I don't feel like I bur I'm burnt out because I do. I can't envision myself when life is different, when my kids are older, um, enjoying being a midwife again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I do feel like it's a little different from, I know with burnout, it's like, it feels more like ended, like, okay, that's over. And I don't, I feel like I'm paused is how it feels oh, just based on the season of, of my life. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And certainly like my experience working with other midwives who are truly burned out, it's like, I, I just... This, it's like torture for everybody involved, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, because, you know, the client's care is really, um, it, there's like just not as much dedication to the client and the midwife doesn't even want to be there or doing anything, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, it's, it's just, like everyone suffers. It's inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. That suffers, so. Um, I'm glad that you're not actually feeling like that. Um, yeah, yes. and I think that the uh, the big reason why is I always worked in a group practice, and that was very supportive, and um, and that's this the big difference. I'm so grateful I never had to work as a solo mm -hmm. uh, practitioner, mm -hmm. and I think that that I always worked in like sustainable models. So even with working in a sustainable model, I needed a break, but I can imagine. Yeah not having support and um, just being, not having breaks from being on call would, you know, 
Right. With burnout, yeah. most midwives, you know, at that time. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, Ashley, I was Ashley's midwife um, when she was having having her third baby. And um, I like remember talking to her about like her desire to be a midwife and then fast forward a few years and um, the company I was working for, they posted this job position and she, um, she, she got the position and started working and was like, this is not like who I thought this company like yeah. was. And she was seeing like the treatment um, of the other midwives there and was just like, Hey, I think like we could do this better. Like, why are you staying here? And so it's crazy because like I was in a group practice uh, that was not supportive and I was starting to feel burned out, you know, like the client load was increasing mm -hmm. relationships with the clients were decreasing um, yeah. and just no support. Like if we had a shitty birth, um, there was just no, no support, like no taking time off because the other midwife was just like, well, I don't, I don't go to births anymore, you know, yeah. um, even though she would pretend like she did. Um, <laughs> but then it's like, I can't believe you're asking me to, you know, to work like, you know, I'm, I'm not ready and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> I, I just had a massive shoulder dystocia. But I'm a person <laughs> and, too, and I deserve a break. Yeah. Um, you know, just a week, man. Um, you know, and then, so even now being, being in a solo practice, like where our cap is just so much smaller, like we have those breaks in between um, mm. and um, feeling like so much more restored um, being away from an unsupportive group practice, you know, but it is definitely the goal to get back to For sure. having, you know, a few midwives like working closely together who actually have like equal yeah. breaks and like a supportive environment where we can, you know, if someone has like a really terrible birth, like, the others will step in and help, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, th there's a whole tangent. That we <laughs> so, um, so what was, what was your experience with postpartum psychosis? This was with your, your first baby, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I, um, I experienced postpartum psychosis uh, when, after the birth of my first baby, and um, the it it showed up like I started getting uh, some hypomania symptoms, some like mild manic kind of symptoms around two weeks postpartum. Okay. And um, by three weeks postpartum, it was uh, at the psychosis level. So I was hospitalized and. Um, spent a week in the hospital, was um, treated with risperidone or risperdal was the antipsychotic that um, I was treated with. <clears throat> and um, I was able to get stable enough with that to go home, to go back to my baby. Um, and about two months later after that, I wound up relapsing and was re-hospitalized. And so had two, um, two hospitalizations in the first three months of my child's birth. And then, yeah, and then had 
a full year of being on medication after that um, and a full year to like recover. So that was kind of like the basics of what happened. <laughs> so um, um, as far as like your, when it started presenting itself um, in this like mild mania, um, like what, what did that feel like to you? Like what were you experiencing with mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Um, so the hypomania symptoms that I had, well, I kind of would like to back it up a little bit to, um, to like what kind of set up, kind of set oh. me up to be more predisposed yep. to it, if that's okay. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay. Just because I think it makes more sense in telling the story. Um, mm -hmm. So I... Um, so my pregnancy, um, I was working as a midwife, you know, throughout my pregnancy. And um, I had, I was in a um, maybe not unique, but my family situation was that I had two partners at the time. I'm uh, identified as polyamorous queer person mm -hmm. and um, had two partners, but neither of my partners were in a parenting role, um, they were like uh, somewhat supportive roles, but I was going to be like the primary parent was the idea. I had one partner who lived in Gainesville, but we did not live together and a partner who lived in Miami. Um, and um, so I and I was working as a midwife. And so I was living alone and I had um, you know, just like a busy midwife schedule during the pregnancy and um, kind of pushed myself to stay on call for until 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, wasn't protecting my sleep very much during the pregnancy. Um, needed to keep working since I didn't have um, like financial support from a partner. Sure. Um, and... So, you know, there was some stressors, but I was very happy. It was a definitely like a chosen pregnancy. I was ready to become a parent and it was very, I was very excited about it. And the week before I was going to go off call, I had probably like at least two births, but it might've been three births where I lost sleep at each of the births. Mm. Um, then I went off call at 37 weeks had like my baby, uh, my birth blessing, baby shower, pregnancy party, the, mm -hmm. at, like the day after. And then the next day I went into labor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you think like, I'll, I'll have a couple of weeks of rest. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, Especially I'm going to have a month to chill out and like, yeah. really sleep and get ready for my baby. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, I went into labor at 37 weeks and two days. And, um, mm. and so I kind of started off the labor sleep deprived. Um, yeah. and then my labor was very long. It was, you know, 49 hour labor. Um, oh, wow. and so I didn't sleep for the whole labor. It was, um, 
it was a prolonged rupture of membranes and situations. So I did wind up at the hospital. I was planning a home birth and um, I wound up, um, you know, having a transfer um, and had a beautiful, you know, vaginal birth. Um, but it definitely was like, you know, I needed, I chose to get Pitocin and an epidural. Yeah. And um, so it was just very different from like the birth I had hoped for, hoping for the natural home birth. Of course. And, um, and then of course, because my, my membranes had been ruptured for the prolonged time, um, you know, they wanted to watch the baby for my, my baby for infection. They didn't want me to leave the hospital for a few days and I didn't sleep at all the days I was in the hospital. Um, oh. and <laughs> it was just like, so that's kind of what started off yeah. sleep deprivation. Um, and, um, so, and then I came home and, um, I was, you know, in the mentality that, okay, I'm the primary parent, I'm nursing this baby, mm-hmm. and so I'm taking care of the baby around the clock. I did have um, one of my partners come for the birth and be, and both of my partners were like in supportive roles postpartum, and I, my best friend also came as like my doula, mm-hmm. and um, so I had support, but I was very you know, not feeling like I needed to share night duties with anyone um, as far as, yeah, like I was nursing, I was very committed to cloth diapering and Uh did not want to put a disposable on. And so I was changing diapers all night. Um, Like, it's like cloth diapers get wet really fast and I didn't want my baby to get a diaper rash. So I really, you know, didn't sleep well. you know, but I was very elated um, to have my baby and to be finally a parent. And um, I was very upbeat about it. And um, my support people all, you know, were helping me with many things. I had a food train, I had family close by. I was like definitely well supported. Mm -hmm. And they all thought that I was doing great because I was extremely happy (laughs) and um yeah it's almost like that like burst of like protective uh like I don't know your brain maybe like trying to protect Mm -hmm. you like while you're so like severely sleep deprived um almost just like that burst of energy you Mm -hmm. know that you get like before before that crash happens do you Mm -hmm. feel like kind of like what that was like Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. Mm. Um, And yeah, and that's just, it's also part of like the mania um, experience is that, you know, you don't feel like you need sleep. You feel like you're, you kind of feel superhuman kind of thing that, um, you know, like don't feel the need for sleep. I remember feeling really tired maybe the first week. Um, and then after that, feeling like I didn't, I didn't need sleep. <laughs> um, and I remember that's kind of reinforced by 
you know, there's a, a lot of like, oh, once you become a mom, especially like you sleep with one eye open, um, you get used to having less sleep. There's a lot of um, things people say that kind of reinforces, um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to get used to having less sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so about, so at first it was just like, yeah, very elated feelings, um, very happy. And um, about two weeks postpartum, I started to feel, um, I interpreted it as um, that I was high on oxytocin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's how I, I was like, I started feeling like I was in an altered state um, and it felt like I was high. Like it reminded me of times that I had used cannabis, um, you know, earlier in my life. And mm-hmm. it was like, I felt like everything was really funny and um just felt like I was very blissful and kind of in a dreamy, kind of happy state. Wow. Um, yeah. And I remember I explained to my midwife <clears throat> that I felt like I was high on oxytocin. And has anyone ever, like, uh, described it that way? Um, and this was at my two-week postpartum visit. <clears throat> and... I remember, you know, she's, that she said, you know, I, I don't really feel like I've heard people describe it that way, but yeah. um, that's great that that's how it feels to you, that it feels so right. happy and, and blissful. And I, I remember feeling like I had all these aha moments, like, oh, this is what people mean by baby bliss. When people mm-hmm. say they're like having their baby moon and they're in baby bliss, you know, like, I finally understand what that means. Like, this is just normal. This is how everyone feels. Um, (laughs) You have nothing else to compare it to. Yeah. This was your first baby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of how it it started. Um, And I remember, um, like, yeah, the first week I was really tired um, but happy. And then I remember the second week it switched to like, I would maybe go to sleep at night with my baby, um, for maybe 30 minutes or an hour. And then I would wake up wide awake, um, and be like, great, I slept and now it's time to be productive. Um. (laughs) And I would just have like, a very, you know, big burst of energy and be like, great, I have, and the baby's still sleeping, so I have time to write all my thank you cards and, um, (laughs) you know, just like, I stayed up writing letters to all my midwives and, well, my two midwives, but I also, since it was a group practice, I wrote letters to all the midwives and decorated all of them, made artwork and, Oh. made a, a card for my doula and my sister and just felt so in love with everyone. Yes. So grateful to be alive and so connected to the universe. And it was, you know, um, and that is a common mania symptom is like mm-hmm. this um, ability to, well, not wanting to sleep and then like this ability, well, to write really long letters or to have pressured speech, um, like to want to talk and talk and talk, to be very, very excited, um, where the person you're talking to doesn't have a chance to like get a word in. 
mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and since there was no one around to talk to, since so just me and my baby, <laughs> it was like I would just write letters and wow, um, yeah, <laughs> you like all night, like read what you wrote. Like, have you seen those since then? Oh yeah. Um, I have seen the one that I wrote to one of my partners, um, and I haven't asked to see if my midwives still have their letters. <laughs> I should ask, though. That would be interesting. Yeah. To um, see. As, especially if you are, you know, um, you know, much more stable now. To right. have your, your stable, actually normal self <laughs> looking at <laughs> letters when you know, um, you, you were going through this hypermania and, yeah. and being like, oh, wow, that's wild. Like I would never write like this. Well, at this right. Point, right? And, yeah. Uh, like when I was researching, like what you're describing in the research, they called it like a uh, uh, grandiose delusion. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, um, like some of the stuff that we hear in the media is that it was like nonsensical. And I'm just curious if we went back to read what you wrote, if it feels nonsensical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think at that point um when it's still what i call hypomania so like a low level mania uh-huh. at that point i think that it did make sense um but it's just it was a little you know just more not atypical behavior for me like more excessive than i would have typically done <laughs> um oh. At that time, it did develop into uh, much more than that. Um, so, but yeah, that's how it kind of first presented. Um, it's interesting to me, um, like in retrospect, like years later, I was like my, um, so my father um, did, well, he did have uh mental health challenges and he was never diagnosed as being bipolar but all of when Mm -hmm. i speak to his he's passed away when i was 16. um but all of his um his sisters do say they suspected that he was bipolar and he was hospitalized for psychotic episodes twice Um, and so i have seen his letters from times that I think that he was uh, manic. Um, Like a letter that he wrote to my grandmother who was his uh, Uh mother-in-law. And and it just reminds me a lot of me writing because he would, I read a letter that he wrote to her that was 20 pages long, like a handwritten (laughs) handwritten 20 page letter to his mother-in-law. Wow. and, (laughs) And it was written like, you know, it's midnight and I just have so much to say to you. I'm going to keep writing. And then like, you know, six pages later, now it's three in the morning and I just can't stop writing because I have so much to tell you. (laughs) Um, So anyway, like reading that later, it was similar. I would write to my midwives like, you know, it's 4 a.m. and, you know, I can't sleep. And so I just need to tell you how much I appreciate you and, Oh, so, <laughs> so anyway, it's very like similar in my, mm-hmm. my, anyway, just reflecting on that. And it does, yeah, that is my, a risk factor that I had um, to develop postpartum psychosis is having, 
a um, close relative who has who had bipolar yeah um, yes. or manic depression so. mm -hmm. <clears throat> sorry my voice is a little scratchy oh, for no. some reason that's okay and if you ever need to like take a break like if you know you want to drink or something yes please um or if you're <clears throat> just like starting to feel like overwhelmed if you want to take a break like please just let us know um cool <laughs> um so then you were saying like around three weeks postpartum is when like you had um your first hospitalization yes mm -hmm. how did it get to that point like what what was happening like before then yes okay so um the build-up to that was um, so that week, so I saw my midwife at two weeks postpartum was feeling that kind of high on oxytocin feeling. Um, and then between two weeks and three weeks, uh, more manic symptoms came up. So I became really sensitive to light. Um, mm -hmm. and so my pupils were dilating. Um, and, uh, I couldn't go outside like if I went outside I just like was squinting so much like it was painful to like be outside in the daylight um and so I started wearing sunglasses but it wasn't enough so I started wearing two pairs of sunglasses oh, wow. <laughs> to go outside and um I started like the first two weeks I was really resting um and I was baby blissful and even though I wasn't sleeping I was like still and like you know, mm -hmm. really just nursing and laying down a lot. But I started to get a lot of, um, you know, mania energy. So I was very hyperactive and, like, couldn't sit still. So I wanted to go out to my garden and, like, harvest herbs. But I had to wear my two pairs of sunglasses to go outside. And um, I started um, – there was a lot going on because in my family we celebrate Samhain um, or, like, uh, some cultures call it the day of the dead. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was that time of year and I had a lot of, um, a lot of energy to make this day of the dead, like this, um, Samhain celebration, like really big, even though it was only two weeks postpartum, oh. I was like cooking and organizing and like making this very big picnic for my family to, you know, all partake in. Oh. Um, and I remember um, that's, I remember I started having really intense weeping um, where like at the Samhain um, picnic um, on my, on my dad's grave, we went to my dad's grave and we had this elaborate picnic that I had organized and I was, um, I remember sitting on my father's grave and just weeping like a river and like crying in a way I had never cried before. Yeah. Um, and I think that my family was a little, you know, just noticing I was wearing two pairs of sunglasses. I was acting a little different <laughs> and I was just like, you know, could not stop crying. Um, and I think it was, you know, very emotional because it was my first time bringing my baby to my father's grave and just the uh -huh. grief of like that my, that my baby would never know his grandfather and in a, you know, physical way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that happened, like that event happened. I think my family was kind of on the alert. 
um, that I was acting strange. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the next day um, is when the psychosis symptoms began. And um, oh. I woke up, um, it was Sunday and um, my dad, I felt my dad's presence in the house. Mm. And um, it was, in the time it made sense to me because it made total sense to me because I was like, we just celebrated Samhain. So this is, yeah. we're like inviting the spirits to come be with us. I had made all my dad's favorite foods. And um, so I'm like, okay, obviously he's here now. Um, mm -hmm. And this makes total sense that I was, so I instructed uh, my, one of my partners um, that, oh, my dad always got donuts on Sunday. So you have to go get donuts right now because <laughs> um, my dad's here and like we need donuts it's sunday where are the donuts you know <laughs> and um i started um going into experiencing what i called <clears throat> my spiritual birth um so <clears throat> this is yeah where it got intense which was that um basically it felt like i was in labor again um and it had started with like my bleeding had pretty much stopped at two weeks because I had really rested. Um, mm -hmm. But I started bright red bleeding again on um, at the three week mark mm -hmm. um, because I just, I, I know logically it was because um, I had just put on this huge picnic for, <laughs> yes. uh, for my family, for, um, for uh, the Samhain celebration. So, um, so it was, um, so like I had started bright red bleeding and I was like, oh, that like signified to me that was my bloody show for like my spiritual birth beginning. And I started feeling waves of energy coming over me as if, um, the intensity of being in labor without the like painful sensations or without the like uterine sensations, but mm -hmm. it was like this just like waves of energy coming and going rhythmically where I had to stop. I had to like moan through to cope with the energy from taking over me and I had to rock my body. It was just very like I was brought back into being in labor. Um, and it made total sense to me because um, I was like, okay, like my spirit really wanted to have a home birth. And so now like, that I healed from my um, physical birth, like I need to have a spiritual birth so that my spirit can give birth at home. <laughs> this made total sense to me. And, um, and so I, you know, I told my partner that I was in labor to call the midwives. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So my partner was getting very worried at this time. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And, um, and, and also I was like, in between contractions, I was bossing him to go get the donuts already. Like, we've been waiting for these donuts for hours. <laughs> like, where are the donuts? Um, and he was like, I'm not going anywhere, but I am calling the midwives. <laughs> uh -huh. And I also called my other partner to come, my sister, my whole birth team, like, wow. to come. And so anyway, yeah, this... They all came, everyone came and like circled around me and um, I continued to like experience this labor. And um, 
finally, like when it got to like a climax um, where I was on the couch and my whole everyone, my both of my partners and both my midwives and my doula, everyone was around me and just giving me like just holding space for me and like loving energy. Um, everyone had arrived and um, I felt the energy just like drop all of a sudden. And then Ray, uh, my child, Arden, who had been sleeping, um, woke up and started to cry. And, um, and my mid uh, I asked my midwife to hand me my baby because I was like on the couch, like just like had just gone through this big thing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so my midwife, you know, put my baby on my chest and... Um, anyway, and I felt like, okay, I, I gave, you know, I had my spiritual birth and, and like it, and the, the waves of energy like stopped and like everything was peaceful. Wow. And so anyway, yeah, that, that happened. And I was like, you know, thank you all for coming to my spiritual birth and y'all can go now. I'm good. <laughs> you know, like thanks for coming. You can go back to your busy days, you know. <laughs> and um and my midwives um d- had a, did a beautiful job of like staying with me and cuz I obviously I was still experiencing even though that like episode had passed, um you know, it was just like a wave and there was a lot of other things still happening. Um, I was still communicating with my, my dad's spirit and there. So anyway, my midwives did a really beautiful job of, um, staying with me for hours and Mm -hmm. eventually convincing me, um, to go willingly to the psychiatric hospital. Wow. Um, yeah. (laughs) So this is still Sunday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was on Sunday. I made it to the psych ward like that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you say that helped you? Hmm. Like, how did you realize? Like, okay, maybe this isn't normal what I'm experiencing, and like, mm-hmm. maybe I do need. Yeah. Um, so there was no really convincing me that um, <clears throat> that like in a logical way that I needed to go to a hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's their first approach. They've tried many tactics, um, Mm -hmm. to get me to want to go. Um, but at first it was like, you know, they asked me like, how much have you been sleeping? You know? And Mm -hmm. I told them that, you know, I haven't really slept at all. (laughs) I like, I, I sleep maybe, maybe, you know, half an hour to an hour you know, every night or maybe a few times I'll, I'll get an hour sleep here and there. Um, so they, you know, assessed that I really need to sleep and they were like, you know, you really need to need help sleeping. Um, if we, we can go to the hospital where you can take some medication to help you sleep and like reset and, you know, Mm -hmm. re reset your system. You you really need to sleep. And I was not going to be convinced that way. Um, and so what eventually helped was, um, that they got into my, um, like my spiritual experience with me and they were like, 
Well, my sister thankfully was there and she took she took the midwives aside and explained because in my chart, I hadn't disclosed that my father likely had bipolar since he was never diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I had put in there that he had clinical depression and had been mm -hmm. hospitalized for depression, but I didn't even, I didn't even know that that was a risk factor for me. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I thought maybe postpartum depression, but which I was like, I'm not depressed. <laughs> okay. well, all of a sudden, I want to be productive all the time. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my sister took them inside and explained that my father likely had bipolar and that he had been hospitalized at Vista at the psychiatric hospital here in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that knowledge, they came to me and said, you know, you know, that it was clear to them that my father was here because he also had spiritual experiences like this. And you know, he, when he had them, he wasn't able to take care of his kids, you know, mm -hmm. and he needed to, you know, he was here to guide me to go to this, the same place that he went and, um, you well, know, get that's basically true. not instead of getting help more like, you know, you're on a spiritual journey. You need to discover what's the next step. And, you know, your dad's here to like help bring you to the next place you need to go to discover like what you're going to find out about this. <laughs> yeah. It was like the next step of the journey. Cause I knew that there was, I, I knew my dad was there. I didn't understand what he was trying to tell me. Um, like there was a lot of messages coming to me, but it was not clear. Like I didn't have, I wasn't hearing voices. I wasn't getting a clear message. And so they kind of went into that with me and were like, it's clear that he's here to guide you and to be with you, you know, at Vista, <laughs> at the psychiatric hospital. Um, and that, that worked. And it also helped that I was very resistant to leaving my baby with um, my partner or either of my partners because they hadn't been assisting with night duties. Mm -hmm. And they weren't, um, they, I just didn't have confidence in them that they could take care of my baby. Um, so the having my sister there who had like who had had two children and mm. like she was like I'm taking the baby I'm keeping the baby safe you know and I was like okay I can go then <laughs> because it was the whole like I wanted to bring my baby with me and that wasn't allowed so it was a big thing like I'm not leaving my baby so there was a lot of negotiations that happened but that's what led to me willingly agreeing to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. incredible so um the um uh the medication that you were on um what was the name of it again so it's called either risperidone or risperdal um so that's definitely one i've not i've not heard of um what do you like how did that help you like how long were you on it um and and that kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah so it is an antipsychotic medication, um, and I was on it, and I was on, like, sleeping medicine also at first. Mm. And um, the Risperdal, uh, you know, worked well to stabilize me, and um, it was interesting because um, my experience taking it, uh, some t I did feel very... 
After both of my episodes, after both of my hospitalizations, I was on Risperdal for a full year. The oh. reason why I relapsed <clears throat> was because there, there was misinformation with my support team about if Risperdal was safe for breastfeeding. Okay. Um, and, um, yeah, I was going to ask you, did you continue nursing um, mm -hmm. through all of this? Okay. So I obviously, when I was separated from my baby from the first hospitalization, I wasn't able to nurse. My midwives brought me a pump so I could keep up my supply. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I had friends who were lactating, clients who were lactating, who oh. um, all nursed my baby and gave my baby, you know, um, donated milk to my baby yeah. while I was in the hospital. Because I felt really strongly that I wanted my child to, to be breastfed. Mm -hmm. or chest fed mm -hmm. um, to get human milk. Yes. So, <laughs> um, but I strongly wanted to nurse when I came out of the hospital and my psychiatrist said that my medication was not safe for lactation and okay. my lactation consultants and my midwives were like, it's an L2, it's really okay. You can nurse on this medication. Wow. Um, and I trusted my midwives and my lactation consultants and my family and my partner, my co-parent, because um, my one of my lovers wound up becoming my co-parent in this whole experience, <laughs> uh -huh. um, even though that wasn't the plan because I needed more support <laughs> than I thought I did. <laughs> and it just fell in. That's how it worked out. But um, the, but yeah, like my family was like, we need to follow the doctor's advice. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't nurse with this. And it was like a conflict. So my psychiatrist gave me the poor advice to, um, if I wanted to nurse, I should wean off my medication. Oh. Um, and my midwives were like, no, it's too soon to wean off your medication. You oh. need to stay on it, but you can nurse on it. And it was just this very difficult dilemma where I followed my psychiatrist's advice and I did, and I relapsed. It was too soon to come off of the medication. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, and so then it was, the relapse was very difficult and I was hospitalized. The first time I was hospitalized for a week, which mm -hmm. felt like an eternity, and the second time I was hospitalized for two weeks. Wow. Which, yeah, just felt never ending. <laughs> but then after that, um, you know, I stayed on the Risperdal for a full year um, from when I was released from the hospital and I weaned off very, very slowly. But I did, you know, at first I just like, um, it, was, it was difficult to advocate for myself because I had had this experience that, you know, people didn't really trust my decision making um, because I had been so out of my normal self. Um, yeah. So they were like, we don't, they didn't trust me to make the decision to nurse, but I made a, and if, it was interesting that I felt so dependent on my family's support that I, and I really needed them and I didn't want them to think I was harming my child by nursing my baby. Mm -hmm. um, so I like had this agreement of like, okay, I'm going to nurse twice a day and I'm going to pump in between, give baby formula or donor milk in between Mm -hmm. And until I weaned to a level of the Risperdal that I was, um, that was not detectable in the milk. Wow. And then I was able to fully breastfeed again. Yeah. 
So, um, so anyway, it was a journey. I was very dedicated to nursing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was very happy that I felt, and my family was supportive. Like I showed them all the data of like, this is the amount of the drug I'm taking. And this is the research that shows it's not detectable at this level. (laughs) So I was like, now I'm good. Right. And I had their support. So it felt good. Yeah. That is so amazing. Like to, um, to have the endurance, (laughs) like the physical and emotional endurance to, um, to keep doing that because that was so important to you, um, you know, for your baby to have, I feel like, um, you know, because like in, um, the episode that we're cutting like this interview into, Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we talk about, um, you know, at the end of the day, like if we have to stop lactating so that we can have a healthy parent and a healthy baby, like that's not the end of the world. Um, but certainly for those who want to keep lactating, Mm -hmm. um, like that's just so, that's so beautiful. I think that, yeah, I totally agree with that. And in my logical brain, it's like, it's totally fine for, you know, for baby not to get a hundred percent of their parents' milk. Um, and at that time it was like the only thing that brought me joy, um, after the after the psychosis, um, I did feel extremely depressed afterwards oh. for that whole, that whole year afterwards. Um, I did, I, I definitely had postpartum depression. Um, and the only time I felt happy and like connected to my baby was when I nursed. Oh, mm. yeah. So looking back now, um, you know, now that you, you are healthy and like, have you ever gone back to do like more research on the medication with lactation? Like, yes. So the midwives were totally right. Like you would have really been able yes. to keep nursing through it. Yes. Um, um, I did it. I researched it in depth before I got pregnant with my second child mm-hmm. because I was like, wanted everyone to be on board from the beginning. Like I'm nursing, (laughs) I'm going to take this medication prophylactically and I'm going to nurse. I don't want to hear any shit from anybody. (laughs) um, Because like all the data is very, I mean, of course things come out decades later, like, Oh, this medication does have some concerns, but like all the current data is not alarming. And it was a risk I was willing to take. And it, you know, and it, I believed it was my decision, but I needed my co-parent especially to be on board. Um, And so I did, uh, you know, research it thoroughly and present all the data. It was hard to do that when I was coming down from the psychosis because it was hard to even focus on using the internet. My brain still wasn't working normally. Mm. Um, So I just, I did trust my midwives and the lactation consultant, but my support team was just like, listen, the psychiatrist, you know, the doctor is the specialist in this. I'm like, they're not a specialist in lactation. <laughs> right, right. Like there's actual books that are like, no, this is <laughs> this is the research that we've done for medications <laughs> lactation. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was able, like since I had been stable for years, I didn't have my second child till my first child. I didn't get pregnant till my child was five years old. 
So mm-hmm. my, my family was used to me being a sound decision maker again. Oh. Uh, there had build, been some trust building since then. You know, they knew that I could make a decision for myself, but when it was so fresh, they felt like they needed to take care of me and help me make decisions at first. Yeah. yeah. Which I totally understand. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I think that the the nursing thing, I mean, I think it was more, it, it probably, I mean, not a selfish thing, but it was um, more like, I need to do this for my mental health. <laughs> like to nurse is actually, it's more for me. I know my child will be okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, just because of that, um, yeah, it the the bonding and like, keeping the oxytocin flowing with my baby, I guess, was really vital for me to stay connected. So I think right. that was, uh, yeah, that was actually more important than, um, you know, the nutrition that my baby was getting. Cause I knew, you know, my baby was like, I was giving my baby organic formula and like, I knew my baby was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it really was like a, that like as the parent, I, I need to do this. So. Right. Right. And almost like a, uh, this is my chance to um, not like have a redo. I don't want to say that, mm-hmm. but like, um, you know, it's like you're a, a little bit of redemption for you. Mm-hmm. you yeah. Like repairing the, the bond, like our bond definitely was disrupted mm-hmm. with the hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like it was healing. It was like our healing time. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so Abby, when you were hospitalized, how did they know that it was like safe for you to go home? Like, did did you come out of psychosis right away after some sleep? Like, how does that work? Mm. Yeah. So the first few days of being in the hospital um, was very challenging because they didn't know what was going on with me right away. Um, and they said they needed to observe my behavior, um, and like my symptoms. And that was very frustrating because I was like, I know, I, I know I need to sleep. And I was just asking, can you at least give me a Benadryl so I can try to sleep? (laughs) Um, and they wouldn't give me anything to help me sleep. So I was like awake for two more days in the hospital. Like the first, you know, I don't know, part of the, t- part of the, maybe the, the first day I was just trying to convince them to give me something to help me sleep. And then when they wouldn't do that, my second whole day there was like, I need to escape. Like, mm-hmm. I need to get out of here. I need to get back to my baby. They're not helping me here. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> like I'm not sleeping. I need to go be with my baby. Um, and so, you know, I was like, con- I was just like, plotting and trying to escape and so they wound up sedating me they wound up like one of my escape attempts wound up in like needing to uh, where they not that they needed to but they they did you know forcibly like hold me down and sedate me oh abby and it's like i've been trying to tell you (laughs) i've had five hours of sleep since my baby was born like (laughs) yeah yeah it was so that was very traumatic but it was what's started so yeah it was like it was a very big drama and then um 
they injected me with a sedative and I did sleep for like a, I was medic medicated sleep for like a day. Mm. And then when I got up from that, I was very groggy and they did start giving me the Risperdal. So then probably four or five days on the Risperdal, um, I had a, an evaluation where they thought that I, my symptoms were resolved enough and my family was really advocating for me. Mm. Um, that they were going to support me at home and they wanted me to be reunited with my baby because I was really suffering mm -hmm. um, to yeah. be apart from him. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so yeah, they, I think they weren't a hundred percent sure they wanted to release me, but with my family's advocacy, they were like, okay, you can go. Right. And I think it was the appropriate time for me to go. If I had stayed on the Risperdal, I think right. I would have had a better outcome totally. because it was effective for me. Right. Um, yeah. But just, yeah, that's not what happened. So. And when you relapsed, was it like similar symptoms or like, did you notice it was going on or did someone else notice it was going on? Um, yeah, with the second time around, it was, it wasn't, it was uh, similar symptoms, but all the spiritual birth kind of things weren't present. But um, I felt at that time, so I was feeling like I had a um, very psychic connection with my baby, mm -hmm. um, where I was trying to do elimination communication. Um, where like diaper free, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, where, and I, it was, I was like really getting in the rhythm of it where I could tell when my baby was going to pee and I could tell when my baby was going to poop. And I would hold my baby over like a little pan to like catch the poop. And, but I, I felt like I had a real strong psychic connection with the baby and my family wasn't that alarmed about that. Um, but then it, grew from there, just that I started seeing, feeling um, like everything was symbolic, everything was really beautiful and really had a spiritual meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. um, I started really focusing on, I have an altar that I like put important things to me on, like spiritual things, but I was spending a lot of time building it and rebuilding it and like yeah. trying to get it right because there was I started feeling like a lot of spirits were trying to talk to me um mm -hmm. and it depended what I had on the altar like who was trying to connect with me mm. um and so my my family knew it was happening again and they they were like uh they moved me to my mom's house so she could be with me all the time um, cause they really didn't want me to go back to the hospital. Um, they brought me to the psychiatrist who was like, unfortunately it was a different psychiatrist that had told me to come off the Risperdal. Cause I think that psychiatrist would have said, let's get back on it. But there was not continuity of care. Cause we just showed up at Meridian, which is like the Medicaid, like mental health, um, care facility. <laughs> and they were like, you need to, um, they're like, let's try this whole other medication because obviously you have bipolar because this is, you're not psych, you're not postpartum anymore. So that wasn't postpartum psychosis. You now have bipolar disorder. So let's put you on this medication for bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so they changed my medication and then I started, um, uh, and I don't know if it was because of the medication or because the psychosis was developing, but um, I started, I definitely started hearing things um, that weren't there, wow. like for other people. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, my family tried really hard, probably for about a week to keep me out of the hospital and just try to let this other medication kick in. Sure. Um, but that did not work. And, um, you know, they, they knew I really didn't want to go back. Um, but it got to the point where, oh, yeah, with this new medication, the psychiatrist said no breastfeeding at all. Mm. Um, and that broke my heart. And so I was like, okay, if I, if I don't, if I can't, like, lactate, then I want to go ahead and get chest surgery. And I want to take, I want these off of me because I was so engorged. Oh. And <laughs> and I was in pain from the engorgement, and I was like, I need to cut these off now. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't have the desire to do it myself. I am like a non-binary person. I've considered having chest surgery in the past, mm -hmm. um, but the way that I worded it, my family was concerned for that I was wanting to harm myself. Oh, um, yes, yeah. And so that was the thing that the psychiatrist said is like, if it gets to the point where you know, they, you're worried they're going to harm themselves or someone else that you need to bring them to the hospital. Right. Um, and so my family did bring me back and, um, the, and they immediately switched me back to the Risperdal, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after being on that for two weeks, yeah, they let me go. Okay. That was a long story. Sorry. <laughs> oh, That's, um, it's so fascinating um, to like really have like an inside, mm -hmm. you know, perspective of like how this, you know, how this works. Cause like no one talks about it and no. it's like, you can find research about how they manage it medically, but you know, and then of course there's like some symptoms, but like no one actually talks about their like experience, the experience of it and how it feels and like what they went through and like their perception, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I appreciate you talking about your experience. <laughs> um, but so did you, um, I know you, you know, kind of took, um, took a good bit of time before, uh, deciding to become a parent again. So like, what did you do to prepare yourself for that second pregnancy? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I took a long time. I, I didn't feel ready. I always knew I wanted another child, but, um, I definitely didn't feel ready until my child was probably three years old. And then I was like, Oh, I actually do feel like I could have another, another child. Um, but I did, um, I basically wanted to, um, take the time to really process the things that happened during the first psychosis mm -hmm. and um, not be carrying those with me into the second mm -hmm. pregnancy. I wanted to do some sort of process and like release of those things. Um, so I did find a really great therapist uh, who, like I wasn't really ready to talk about the psychosis for the first couple years of parenting. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I did feel ready at like when my child was like three to four years old. And 
Um, so I got a really great therapist and um, I had many sessions with them kind of talking about all the things that came up and like all the kind of visions that I had had and the things that I learned from the spiritual aspect because they were profound spiritual experiences that did have meaning in my life, even though there was also like a chemical, you know, brain imbalance going on. Um, sure. There was, you know, things that uh, were significant to my spirituality. And so I got to process all of that and I got to um, uh, do some art therapy where I got to like uh, draw some of the feelings that I had during psychosis. Oh. Yeah, that was really cool to get to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then... I got to a place where me and my therapist agreed, like, yeah, I think, like, you know, you're able, like, I think that you're ready, you know? And that was, that was really great. Cause I, when I first, like, I, when it first started to be able to talk about it, I couldn't talk about it without crying mm-hmm. and having a lot of emotions. And by the end of my therapy, I was able to just talk about it, like, oh, this happened and this was my experience and it wasn't an emotional experience to, like, reflect on it. Um, so that was really helpful and I made a plan. I met with, um, there's a really great, uh, mental health, uh, facility for pregnant and postpartum people in the Gainesville area called Better Beginnings. Okay. And it was, they have like nurse practitioners there who can prescribe medication and therapists and they have group therapy and they even have an alternative to hospitalization where you can, um, do like partial hospitalization where you can come with your baby all day. Um, if you're having a mental health crisis that is not psychosis level yet, um, where you can, you know, spend nine to five at the facility doing group therapy, individual therapy, being there with your baby. Um, so that knowing that that program existed and I could do that if I started to feel like, hypomania symptoms mm-hmm. um was reassuring and i yeah i made a plan with my with a nurse practitioner who uh we agreed that i would start the risperdal the day of the birth and mm-hmm. take it for uh the first three months postpartum mm-hmm. um and then like check in and see where i was at so knowing just making a plan like that um yeah. was how i prepared and a lot of also counseling with my co-parent at the time too. That's incredible. And then did you do anything else? Um, uh, like any other, um, kind of like supportive, um, like remedies like, um, vitamin D omega threes, um, or like exercise, um, like, did you do anything else that maybe kind of helped you as well? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I definitely really paid attention to my vitamin D and supplemented with vitamin D during my pregnancy and the postpartum and omega-3s. And um, I had, uh, I grew a lot of herbs during my pregnancy um, that I wanted to use postpartum or have on hand postpartum. Mm -hmm. And just gardening was like really good exercise for me during the pregnancy. For sure. Lots of squatting in the garden. (laughs) And, um, 
Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, t- I, and I stopped, you know, midwifing, um, mm-hmm. to, to really just like focus on having a healthy pregnancy. And, um, I really watched my sleep. Um, I, I had a therapist my whole pregnancy also that, um, had me document my sleep the whole wow. pregnancy. <laughs> this is, we've really got to watch this. Yeah. yeah. And that was really helpful. Like, mm. and I knew like if I got six hours or less, I was required to take a nap that day. Okay. Um, yeah. But I was always striving for like eight hours of sleep and I was really good at sleeping during that pregnancy. So that was good. Yeah. And then, um, how, uh, can I ask you how your second birth went? Did you get your home birth? I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, I had a really beautiful birth and, um, one of the midwives was the same midwife who was with me the first time, mm-hmm. which I requested, um, because I really wanted her since she had seen me with the psychosis, I really wanted her to mm-hmm. have eyes on me. Um, since she had, she, you know, Mm-hmm. would know what to look out for in a real way. Since so she's the one who drove me to the uh-huh. to the psych ward. I was like, you need I need you. And she was there. So that was really helpful. Oh, and I, yeah. And yeah. It was a really healing, beautiful, wonderful birth. So I'm really grateful. So fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then um so you said you were on that um medication for about a year and then you weaned off or did you wean off over a period of time and you were weaned off by a year? I was weaned off by a year. So yeah, I was on a higher dose the first six months and then I was able to go down to a level that I, um, you know, breastfed with more and it just kept going down. So by a year I was done. Amazing. Amazing. And And, no relapses after that. No. No, no relapses. So, yeah. Well, we definitely won't keep you uh, too much longer. So, um, yeah, I'm noticing it's been over an hour. So, we yeah. Can wrap it up. <laughs> um, and so, um, and then I guess our our last question was like, since um, since this experience, were you were you diagnosed with another like mood disorder? Um, that you are like managing now? Yeah, so since, um, so it's a little bit, it's interesting, there's different perspectives on it, but um, I, I believe that it was postpartum psychosis like isolated to that. You know, there was a, at one point they thought that I did have bipolar disorder um, or manic depression and I mean, I feel like I I wouldn't be surprised if um, I could go in that direction again, especially if I was under a lot of stress and uh, sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised if I did would have to you know have that challenge again, but um, thankfully, because I feel like. Whenever I don't get good sleep, I do have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh oh, I better get sleep or else what could happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you still monitor that for yourself. Definitely. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I definitely monitor it. Because um, I, 
yeah, I don't have any desire to for that to happen again. But thankfully, mm -hmm. I, f I feel I don't um, I don't have a challenge of yeah having depression or anxiety on a on a regular basis, and I don't um, I haven't had any mania since then. So I feel grateful that it was probably isolated to the psych to the postpartum time. Um, but I definitely do more self care than I have than I did in the past, and um, and I keep you know, I see my therapist and I do watch my sleep and um, you know just actively work to stay at being a balanced person. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, I'm not in need of um, medication to help me do that at this time. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it, or maybe just being more like, um, you know, like, okay, this was definitely a family history mm -hmm. thing and, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, kind of reiterating that with anyone else around you where that may be pertinent, um, you know, later on down the line, mm -hmm. like if something, you know, if something were to happen, um, because, you know, I was, I was just listening to, um, a podcast completely unrelated. It was about endometriosis, but like they, you know, were talking about how um, uh, this person was experiencing all of this uh, pain regarding like cervical exams or during intercourse because they were brought up in purity culture. And mm -hmm. it turned out that they had like, rampant deep endometriosis um mm. and like it it's just um you know let's not brush things off as like oh it's probably because of this mm. thing you know like you know well it could be just this thing but let's look into it a little bit more so that we can make sure you're healthy yeah <laughs> you know? oh yeah um so abby i so we're so grateful that yes. you um were able to chat with us today. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful that like, you feel good, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> these things that, that help you like keep feeling good and healthy for your family. Um, Cause you are so needed <laughs> in um, like in your family's life. And I mean, even just like um, for these little baby midwife students, <laughs> um, you know, and other families that you'll go on to care for, um, if you ever get back to it. And, um, you're just amazing. Mm, thank y'all so much. It's really healing for me to be able to share the story with more people. And I, I do want people, other folks who experience postpartum psychosis to know that, you know, they're not the only ones. Right. Um, so I'm really happy for this opportunity to share yeah. my story so that, for the, all the other people out there who have had it, that they don't feel as alone. So. Right, right, yeah. And like just learning how to advocate for themselves or maybe like a family member knows how to, mm -hmm. um, like can hear this and like, you know, kind of be on, uh, be aware of like some of these symptoms, yeah. you know, or like signs um, from maybe someone close to them. Even as like a midwife, like 
how they were able to get you to agree to go to treatment, like things like that to watch for is really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My midwives really midwifed me, Mm -hmm. you know, through my postpartum psychosis. And yeah, that's part of what my passion is for teaching, you know, teaching the, the next generation of midwives is I want all the midwives at this school that I work at to to be familiar with what to look out for and how to support someone going through that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Abby. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank y'all. Yeah. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye. Bye. We live and practice in Florida state, meaning we are referencing our laws and protocols here. So if you're a midwife in another state with a different or no laws or protocols, we'd really love to hear from you. If you're a midwifery client, fan, or otherwise interested in traditional midwifery care, share your questions, experiences, and birth stories by writing to us at midwiveswithnolives at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram. And And until until next time, time, may your coffee coffee be strong and your birth be well-informed. Shoutouts to my talented and frustrating husband, Bradley John, for editing our episodes ever so lovingly. And to Ashley Hoffman for our designing our incredible jingle. Yay! Bye. Bye.